Hey guys, welcome back to episode 68 of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host once again, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. To get instant access to almost 20 hours of world-class online video strength and conditioning information, go to upmentorship.com and help support the show. This episode's guest is Bill Walcott. Bill Walcott is the world's leading authority on metabolic typing, which is a dietary technology that enables people to optimize their health and fitness by identifying their own highly individualized nutritional needs. On this episode, Bill and I discussed many topics, including the history of metabolic typing, the fundamental homeostatic controls of metabolic typing, how circadian rhythms may influence your metabolic type, and many more topics. This was a really, really great episode, guys, and I hope you really enjoy it. Okay, Mr. Bill Walcott, it is an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you on my podcast. You, uh, you've been a, a very influential person um, on me with regards to my uh, perspectives on nutrition and health, so I really appreciate you making the time. Just for the listeners who may not be too familiar with who you are, just fill us in on your background. <laughs> well, thanks, Robbie. Yeah, it's good to be here with you today. Yeah, well, I'm... Uh... I'm, I'm the guy who's uh, been researching and developing a field called metabolic typing for the past, gosh, nearly 38 years now. I've done nothing else but eat, sleep, think, research, investigate metabolic typing. We also uh, do analyses for health professionals really around the world. We've trained people in 40 countries now, and we do uh, metabolic typing analyses. We've probably done several hundred thousand in the past several decades and um, we've we've trained over a thousand practitioners in what we do and uh, quite honestly Robbie it is it is just so incredibly exciting I mean I like I said I've done this for almost 38 years and it is more exciting today than it was when I first started it, it's just the most incredible field and the most exciting field because it really and truly is the answer to health and nutrition. If you want to know how to be healthy, if you want to know what you should eat, metabolic typing is the only way that you can get at that answer. And the reason is that everybody's unique. You know, it's funny how in this uh, alternative health field that, that we both work in, it's funny how everybody gives lip service to that. I mean, you ask any health practitioner, they'll say, oh yeah, yeah, everybody's unique. But you know what? They don't treat people like they are unique because for the past several hundred years, every book that has come out on diet and nutrition, and there have been tens of thousands of those books, every single one of them have said, this is the diet that's right for everyone. Mm. And it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. I mean, you can find literally thousands of books, go on Amazon and type in diet book and you'll find thousands of books and they all are saying the same thing this diet is right for you this diet is right for everyone and it's crazy there never has been and there never will be one diet that is right for everybody it's impossible mm -hmm. absolutely yeah i 100 agree i, I like i preach that all the time and you know i would kind of reflect the work of weston price in any of my talks and you know it is it's just even just sit down and logically think about it and you know kind of if you fed it, the chinese man the eskimo the eskimos diet and vice versa more than likely both of them are going to get sick so 
it's just ridiculous to think that there's one diet that's going to suit every single human being on this planet because we're so biochemically unique. Yeah, and there's a reason for it. Mm. And, and that reason is that human beings have populated every part of this planet, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, everywhere you, you go, pretty much, you're going to find human beings. And there have been indigenous cultures that evolved in those different environments. So these different environments, they have differences in climate. They have differences in geography, meaning the different kinds of minerals that are available in the soil. And these different uh, indigenous cultures that have evolved there became perfectly suited to those environments. And not only do you find different climates and different soils and, and, and different geographies, but you also find different foods that are naturally available in those environments, right? Mm -hmm. So you mentioned Eskimos, and that, that's a great example. It's easier to talk about metabolic typing if we think in terms of the extremes. So the Eskimo is one extreme. And in that environment, you know, if you lived as an Eskimo, as an indigenous Eskimo for countless generations, you couldn't reach outside your igloo and pick an orange or an apple, right? Mm -hmm. And you couldn't grow lettuce, right? I mean, the food that was naturally available to you was primarily animal proteins and all different kinds of animal proteins. So the Eskimo diet is naturally very high in protein, very high in fat, and very little carbohydrate. So it's almost 90% protein and fat, and almost 10% or less carbohydrate. Sometimes they eat no carbohydrate, only protein and fat. So that became the diet for the Eskimo that was perfectly suited to their metabolism. They became perfectly healthy on that diet. It was forces of evolution, like adaptation, genetic mutation, survival of the fittest, those natural forces assured that the Eskimo became perfectly adapted to their environment. And not only were they perfectly adapted, but they also were perfectly healthy. They didn't really have degenerative disease. In fact, they don't even have, in their traditional language, they don't even have a word for cancer or heart disease. Mm. And yet cancer and heart disease are the number one and number two uh, causes of death, really, in, in our culture today. So, I mean, that's how healthy they were on their diet. Mm. But we know from some scientific research that high protein can cause cancer in some people. But guess what? It doesn't cause it in all people. Yeah. And that's what we mean about metabolic types, metabolic individuality. This idea that we all are unique, it really is true. It's true not only in obvious ways in terms of our height and skin color and type of hair that we have, you know, straight hair or curly hair. It's not only true in terms of where we gain weight on the body. Some people gain it clearly in, in the stomach area, you know, like a beer belly uh, a look to them, very rounded look. And other people uh, don't. Other people gain a lot of weight on the rear end and in the hips and the thighs. And, and so you know, in terms of how we gain weight, it's obvious that we look different in that way. There are different body types. Some people are very thick and heavy set, and other people are very thin and lean. But it also goes deeper. It goes beyond those surface differences. It goes deeper into the different organs and glands and systems in the body. Some people have a, a large heart. Some people have a smaller heart. Some people have a very large stomach. Some people have very small stomachs. Some people are 
very efficient at digestion. Other people have to be very careful at what they eat because they don't digest well. So these differences that we see externally, they also differ internally. Some people have a heart on the left side, some people in the middle of the chest, and some people have their heart on the right side. So there's differences in our physiology internally in all different kinds of ways. And then it even goes deeper. It goes deeper into the cells. Our body is is comprised of cells, right? I mean, we know that we have the human body, which we can see. That's the highest level of organization. And then as we go internally, we find tissues, and then we find organs and glands. And then we understand that those tissues and organs and glands are actually comprised of cells. And this, this gets into kind of the miraculousness of the human body. Mm-hmm. The human body has somewhere around 100 trillion cells. That's what the body is composed of. And that number sounds really big, but it is unbelievably large when we figure out how big it is. If you took your stopwatch, Robbie, while we're talking here today, and you, you turned it on, you started your stopwatch, and then you stopped it after 100 trillion seconds had passed, do you know how much time would have gone by? I've never calculated that. How much? It would be one and a half million years. Oh my God. So that's how big a hundred trillion seconds is. <laughs> and yet our human body, that's, what's, that's what it's composed of. Mm. And now it even gets even more miraculous. Those cells, those hundred trillion cells, that's where the action takes place in terms of energy production. You know, we, we wake up in the day, we get up, we move around, we go off and live our life, whatever we're doing, we might be working, we might go out and play some tennis, we might go out and play some soccer, some football, uh, we may go jogging, we may go swimming, whatever we do, the body is producing energy, right? And where do we get that energy from? We get it from the food that we eat. And most people know that in, in kind of a general way, and, and most people know that food contains calories, but food also contains vitamins and minerals and all kinds of biochemical constituents. So when we eat food, we digest it, right? The stomach, the intestines, pancreas, liver, and so forth. We digest our food. Once it's digested, then it's absorbed into the bloodstream. And then the bloodstream takes the digestive food molecules to these hundred trillion cells. And then those those nutrients are taken into those hundred trillion cells where those, those nutrients are then converted to energy. They're oxidized, they're burned. So the cells really are what we could call the body's engines of metabolism. Mm-hmm. And like any engine, cells require fuel in order to run. I mean, what keeps you alive? What keeps you going? What causes the cells to function? And then the organs and the glands that they comprise, what causes them to function? And what causes the systems, your cardiovascular system, your immune system, your digestive system, what causes all that to function? It's energy. Energy that's produced from the food that we eat in our cells. But guess what? Now now that's where it gets really interesting. So we were just talking about Eskimos, how their diet is high in protein, high in fat, and they have almost no carbohydrate. But they're perfectly adapted to that. So when they ingest that food, and they digest it, and they absorb it, and it's taken to their cells, the cells 
how to convert those nutrients to energy. And as they're fully converted to energy, then the cells are able to do their job, whether it's a brain cell or a heart cell or a liver cell or a pancreas cell or a skin cell or, or a bone cell, you know, whatever kind of cell we're talking about, all cells run on energy. They have to have energy in order to run. And like any engine, a cell has to have the right kind of fuel. If you give any engine the wrong kind of fuel, it's not going to run properly. You're going to have deficient energy production, and you're going to have a lot of leftover junk in the engine because the fuel was not combusted, it wasn't burnt up. So like if you put diesel fuel into a gasoline engine, it's not going to run right. If you put gasoline into a diesel engine, it's not going to run right. Well, guess what? It's the same thing about the human body and the right diet and what happens to the food that you eat once it gets to your cells. So though eating high protein and high fat, all kinds of meat and all kinds of fat, no carbohydrate, no fruits, no vegetables, no grains of any kind, for the Eskimo, that's the right kind of fuel. It makes them perfectly healthy. It gives them optimum energy production in the cells. And it makes them so healthy, they don't even have a, a word for cancer or heart disease in their language. So that's a great example of eating right for your metabolic type. And not only does it do those things, but it also keeps them lean, it keeps them fit, it gives them the ability for maximum performance in whatever they do. But if you or I try to eat that way, it's probably not going to work for us. It's probably going to decrease our energy. Not a lot of people are wired genetically to thrive on high protein, high fat, and no carbohydrate. Most of us need some carbohydrate, and, and a lot of us need a lot of carbohydrate to go with our protein and fat. So if we try to eat like an Eskimo, because we don't want to have cancer or diabetes or heart disease, we're not going to do well on that diet. We're not going to have optimum energy. We're probably going to feel really sluggish. We're going to feel wiped out. We're going to feel wasted. And our cells are not going to be able to fully convert the nutrients from that diet to energy. And as a result of that, we're probably going to start gaining weight. Why? Because the calories that we're taking in that are being digested and absorbed and assimilated into the cells, they're not being fully converted to energy. They're not being burnt up. They're not being used. They're not being combusted. They're not being changed into energy. And as a result of that, you know, there's some partial energy there, of course, but the result of that is that those calories, at least a good portion of those calories, they're going to be stored as fat because the body can't use it. It can't use the calories up the way it wants to, to produce energy. So now everything is starting to diminish in performance. The mind isn't working right. We're getting spacey. We can't think clearly. We're getting brain fog. Or maybe it's working the other way. It's producing hyper thoughts. The mind are just filled with thoughts. We can't stop thinking. We're hyped up. We're nervous. We're irritable. We're anxious. Uh, we're angry, we have a short fuse. It's all based on what happens to the food that we eat. If it's the right fuel for us, we feel terrific. If it's the wrong fuel, then we have bad energy production. The body can't convert what we're eating to fuel properly. The cells are not going to function properly. The tissues, the organs, the glands, the systems, they're going to start losing their function. And our performance in every aspect of our life is going to start diminishing. 
We're going to get tired too soon. We're going to be yawning in between meals. We won't be able to focus and concentrate on our work. We're not going to be able to fall asleep properly. We're not going to sleep long enough. Our sleep's going to be disturbed. We're going to wake up in the middle of our sleep. We can't go back to sleep. Why? Because the body can't function the way it was designed to function because we gave it the wrong fuel. So, you know, we talked about the Eskimos, but there are other, there are other indigenous cultures who are just the opposite. The Tukaseta from Papua New Guinea, they are the almost mere opposite of the Eskimo. They live and thrive and are perfectly healthy on over 90% carbohydrates and only just a little bit of protein and fat. So it's the exact opposite from the Eskimo. So you try to give that diet to the Eskimo, and you know what's going to happen to them? Now they're going to be hungry too soon after eating. They're going to be craving sweets. Why? Because their body is not producing energy the way it is supposed to produce it. It can't produce energy. So the cells now, now you've got 100 trillion cells screaming to the brain, give us some energy. And that's what a sweet craving is. That's what a food craving is. That's why people get hungry too soon after eating. Like after an hour after a meal, they're hungry again. Or an hour after they eat, they're craving sweets. Why? Because the fuel that they gave their body at that meal was wrong. The cells couldn't produce energy in a sustained way to maintain their function from the food that they ate. So you give the Tukasenta diet to the Eskimo, it's going to mess them up. You give the Eskimo diet to the Tukasenta, it's going to mess them up. And they will develop degenerative conditions as a result. So that's what metabolic typing is all about. It's recognizing that, you know what, this whole idea about the right diet, it's not about some expert writing a book. It's not about something you read in a magazine. It's not about, you know, the latest and greatest fad to come out, and there's new fads every year or every couple of years or something new that everybody's supposed to do. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It doesn't even have anything to do with what I'm saying. The only thing it has to do with, meaning the right diet for you, the only thing it has to do with is your genetically based requirements. Just like the Eskimo has a genetically based requirement for high protein, high fat, low carbohydrate, you too, and me and everybody who's listening, every human being, has a very unique, specific, genetically based requirement for nutrition. And if you meet that requirement, Everything works. Everything is great. You've got great energy. You've got great moods. You're not hungry after eating. You're not craving sweets. You're not gaining weight. You're normalizing your weight. Your weight is starting to melt off without even trying. You're not starving yourself. You're simply giving your body the kind of fuel that it's designed to utilize. And if you do that, the body simply begins to function normally, the way it was designed to function. And that brings up an even more important point that everybody, I hope, can hear and really get and really understand. Your body is genetically programmed to be healthy. Every single cell in your body, every one of those hundred trillion cells, whether it's a brain cell, heart cell, liver cell, doesn't matter, every cell in your body knows exactly what to do and how to do it perfectly. You are genetically programmed for health. It's like a computer program that's set on an endless loop. That's what the body's doing. 
it knows exactly what it needs to do in order to be healthy, and it's always trying to do that. It's always trying to function optimally, and it will if you give the body what it is designed to have. If you give the body what it needs, genetically speaking, in order to function the way it's designed to function, it'll start to do that. There's some other things that you have to do, which we can get into later, but basically that's what metabolic taping is. Every single person that is listening to this, know that you are unique. And I know that my words, when you hear them, it is striking a chord. You're nodding internally that, yeah, I know, I am unique. Yes, I am. People know that. That's, that's innate. That's inherent. There's not one person that is exactly like another person. We all are unique. And we are unique in every way imaginable, even in terms of those hundred trillion cells and how those cells function and what kind of fuel those cells need in order to be healthy. So that's what metabolic typing is. That's what we've been doing for the past 38 years is perfecting this understanding and the ability to identify a person's metabolic type so that each person who finds out their metabolic type will know exactly what they should eat and what they shouldn't in order to be healthy. So it's really, really exciting, Robbie. I mean, it's, it kind of blows my mind that I'm this jacked up about metabolic typing, even after doing it for you know, almost 38 years. It's, it's just the most exciting field to see what happens to people's lives when they start giving the body what it is designed to utilize. Wow, amazing things happen when, when, when you do that. In, ter- in terms of the um, of echo there. In, in terms of the environment so a question I would pose to you is say I'm Irish and my ancestry is Irish but then I have to move to Spain or even to Africa how does that impact my body because should I still eat the foods from my ancestors which would be hard to get in another country or should I start eating the foods from the local environment that I'm in well, actually, the answer is neither. What you should do is find out your metabolic type and then eat those foods. So now let's, let's go to kind of a, a little deeper level of understanding of metabolic typing. It gets a little bit more technical, but I, I don't think it'll get uh, too technical. Before you go on, what, I, I think I, I'll just add another little piece to that. Would by changing the environment change my metabolic type? Is, is guess what I'm I was guess what I'm saying? I suppose so. Like by, because let's say if I was in Ireland and I was thriving on, like a balanced diet of where it was protein, fat, and carbs, but it was the protein, fat, and carbs traditional to Ireland. But then when I moved to Spain, would the environment shift my metabolic type? And then would I need to start eating more towards the foods in that local area? I suppose you, you just know by testing your metabolic type continuously. Yeah, I mean, actually, I, I totally understand your question, but your question is actually inappropriate for the reality. And let me try to explain what I mean by okay, that. Okay, here you go. We, we, we recognize what we call your, a person's genetic type. Yeah. That's the type you were born with. But we also recognize what we call Phenom. the functional type. Yeah. And that's the metabolic type that you are functioning at right now. And we learned that it is possible for a person to move out of their genetic type into a different functional type. Mm -hmm. And that's normally because of a lot of wrong living 
and, and that can be in a lot of different ways. If mm -hmm. you eat, and let's say you, you, you have a metabolism similar to an Eskimo, but you eat the exact opposite way. Well, you're going to push your metabolism out of its normal pattern into a different pattern, mm -hmm. and you will probably suffer the consequences with various health complaints as a result of doing that. So while it is possible to change the metabolic type, typically that doesn't change simply because you moved to a different part of the globe, different part of the country. Yeah, yeah. Your metabolic type doesn't change very easily because remember it's, it's hardwired. It's a genetically based issue. So in order to begin turning off all kinds of genes and turning on other ones, you really have to kind of work at it. And it's, it's going to change the way those genes are functioning over an extended period of time. Mm. But the other part of your question, which I fully understand, but I need to address, is the fact that you were born in Ireland. These days, it doesn't make that much difference. Yeah. And the reason for that is that we carry genetic influences in our bodies from, from countless generations. Yeah. You know, so you never know what genes are going to be expressed. Mm -hmm. And this is particularly true these days, because in the last hundred years, you know, people have really moved around this planet and there's been a lot of genetic mixing. I mean, a thousand years ago or so, or 500 years ago or whatever it may be, if you were born into a certain geographical area, the chances of you living there and dying there, that's, that, that was pretty strong. You know, mm -hmm. people didn't move around. Took a sentence in Papua New Guinea, they never made it to the Arctic and vice versa. So these days, there's you know a great genetic mixing, and especially in the United States, where you know this is such a melting pot really of the whole world. The fact that you come from a certain genetic strain, that doesn't mean that that strain is going to be be uh, manifesting in every child in that family. Mm. In fact, if if you look at families. Um, you can really spot how these these genetic differences can play out. For example, you might see a family with three or four children, and you would think, well, they're probably all going to look pretty much the same, but very often that's not the case. You may have one child who, for example, might be uh, a thicker build, uh, a shorter in stature, and, a th and thicker build, and maybe darker skin and dark eyes, and, and then his sibling maybe will look quite different. Maybe will be taller and thinner, maybe light-skinned and blue-eyed. You, you just can't tell what, how these genes are going to play out. Because again, we have genes from countless ancestors that, that get carried from one generation to the next. So you may have you know, one millionth of one gen genetic strain from one uh, genetic strain. And then you may have seven sixteenths of a different strain, and, and on and on and on. And you never know which one is going to come out to to define your metabolic individuality. Yeah. So you can look at that as kind of genetic roulette. You don't know how the dice land. So just because you are from Ireland, that doesn't mean that you should eat like an Eskimo or that you shouldn't. It doesn't tell you your metabolic type. You need to be tested in order to find out. So when we talk about these metabolic types, um, there are classifications that, that we can identify. Mm -hmm. And the metabolic type that I mentioned of the Eskimo, that would be what we call 
in, in very broad general terms, a protein type. Those metabolic types do really well on higher protein and fat and lower carbohydrates. The opposite group we refer to as carb types, carbohydrate types. They do better on, generally speaking, higher carbohydrates but lower proteins and fats. And then there are people in the middle. We call those the mixed or the, the, you know, the, the mixed or the balanced types. They are in between those two extremes. But within each category, there is a very wide spectrum. You could be, you know, a slight protein type, very close to being a mixed type, but not quite mixed. You could be a moderate protein type. You could be a strong protein type. You could be an extremely strong protein type. That would be like the Eskimo. And each gradation that you move further and further into that metabolic type, then the stronger is the requirement for protein and fat and the less the requirement for carbohydrates. So my point is that because you were born in Ireland, that does not tell you what foods are right for you. You mm -hmm. need to be tested to identify your metabolic type. That then is going to identify the right foods for you and the wrong foods for you. And then there are further steps that we take in metabolic typing to customize the right macronutrient ratios at each meal, meaning the right amount of protein and fat versus carbohydrate at each meal. It may sound complicated, but it's actually no. very simple and yeah. very easy to do because the body tells you. It tells you exactly mm -hmm. how well you're doing at giving it what it needs. Once you understand what to do, once you understand the body's language, then you can understand what it's telling you and you know exactly what to do. I, I guess another kind of maybe way to pose it, let, let's say, <clears throat> and I 100% I get what you're saying and, and it's, I agree with it because like, it just makes logical sense. If I was, say, living in Ireland and I knew my metabolic type and I was thriving on that and then I had to move to another part of the world, would that environment, could, that, could the new environment, you know, new circadian rhythm, new environment, weather, place in the world, geographic stress, would that pose... Uh, would that be a factor that could that could potentially shift my metabolic type? Yes, it could. Um, it also could shift your macronutrient ratio requirements. Yeah. It, it just really depends. It depends on where you are in that spectrum that I mentioned a short time ago. If you're very strong to one way or kind of just kind of on the border of it, like if you're a real strong protein or a real strong carb or more towards the middle. Yeah, there you go. Like if you're an Eskimo, you're never going to be a vegetarian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, I don't care where you live. Yeah. You're never going to do well as a vegetarian type. You're never going to do well on high carb and low protein and fat. Now, will your macronutrient ratio requirements shift some? Yeah, probably. You're probably going to need to eat a little more carbohydrate than you've been eating to accommodate the change in temperature. Like if you went to the tropics, mm. yeah, you're going to need to make a shift. But it's not going to change who you are from that genetic standpoint, um, if you if you're an extreme type, but the the beautiful thing about all this is that it's not a guessing game. You don't have to go, gosh, I wonder if I am or if I'm not. You run your metabolic type analysis, and it's going to nail it for you. It's going to tell you, you know, where you are on that spectrum. It's going to tell you what you need to be eating, and you combine that with the body language that I mentioned a moment ago, and you will know exactly what you need to do to bring yourself back into line yeah in, in terms of um metabolic typing like how did it come to fruition how did you develop your own system of metabolic typing maybe you can get into the background with 
Dr. Kelly and then George Watson's work and how you combine those two together? Well, sure, I'm happy to mention that a little bit, but I hope we can keep our discussion you know, real practical for people so they can really understand how metabolic typing works. But, but basically, um, I, I went to work for Dr. Kelly um, in 1978, I believe, and I was his only assistant at the time. And one of my main functions, in fact, my primary function in coming to work for him was five hours a day I answered the Technician Research Center phone line, and that phone line was set up to answer questions that doctors had about their patients who were using Dr. Kelly's program. And Dr. Kelly's program, um, which really was the first formal application of this idea of metabolic typing, his program was based exclusively on the autonomic nervous system to determine a metabolic type. So during those five hours every day, I answered questions for five hours every day. There were phone calls during the entire time. And later, I was able to understand why that was the case. And the reason a lot of people were having trouble with the program was that there was more to metabolic typing than just the autonomic nervous system. And that's where I discovered the work of uh, Dr. George Watson and, and began to understand how the oxidation rate, which is the rate at which nutrients are converted to energy within the cells, how that is equally important to the effect of foods on the autonomic nervous system in terms of defining a person's metabolic type. And once that component was added to our concepts, I almost uh, put an end to my job as, as someone who answered the phone at the Technician Research Center because the problems just really started to disappear. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's very briefly, uh, you know, what what happened way back then. But that first experience of discovering how this other fundamental control system, besides the autonomic nervous system, came into play, that opened up a whole new panorama in understanding metabolic individuality. Could you today make? Have, you, oh, sorry. Go today ahead. We go have, ahead. Today we have eleven different fundamental control systems that really we we look at to identify a person's metabolic yeah. type. So it's really changed quite a bit from one system that started with Dr. Kelly to these 11 systems that we're working with today. Could you maybe uh, touch into the, 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 the dominance factor and um, you know, maybe explain what that is? I mean, I'm just trying to see my Yeah, my yeah that, that's one of the more fascinating discoveries that I've made uh, in relationship to metabolic typing. I have a quote. I have a quote here from Yana. Just that, that any nutrient can produce opposite biochemical influence in different metabolic types depending on which fundamental homeostatic control is dominant. And so that and that was called, termed your dominance factor. So that's just, exactly right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and this people can relate to this experience. You can take any food or any pretty much any nutrient. Not not every single nutrient, but you can take any food and most nutrients, and you could give that food to someone. And in one person, we discovered, it will produce an alkaline shift. For example, if you eat an orange, in one person, by eating an orange, the body chemistry will shift alkaline. Mm. But in, in somebody else, that same food will actually shift the body chemistry in an acid direction. Yeah. And that was my discovery. I observed that this phenomenon was taking place. And I later came to understand 
that the reason foods behave that way is not due to an intrinsic factor within the food itself. It depends upon what fundamental control system is being influenced in the body of the person consuming that food. Mm-hmm. And I call that the dominance factor. In each person, either the autonomic nervous system will be the dominant system that is influenced by or the oxidative system, yeah. the system that takes place within the cells, will determine the uh, which way the body chemistry shifts, how the body reacts to that food or that nutrient. So people are tend to be either autonomic dominant or oxidative dominant. So if, if an autonomic dominant person eats an orange, their body chemistry will shift alkaline. If an oxidative dominant person eats an orange, it will shift acid. So that is completely revolutionized. It's changed the way that we view nutrition. Before we thought that nutrients had an intrinsic quality, that if you give this nutrient, it's going to have that effect. But that's not the case. And by intrinsic quality, here's what I mean by that. Water has a property of being wet, right? Mm -hmm. Fire has an intrinsic property of producing heat, and heat to the extent that it will burn you if you put your hand over a flame. That's an intrinsic quality. But foods don't have those qualities because foods don't behave the same well or behave the same way in every person. That's why you need to understand your metabolic type. Only if you know your metabolic type will you know if a food is going to be alkalinizing or acidifying, whether it's going to be stimulating or it's going to be sedating. So this, this is a, a huge discovery that completely changes the way that we understand nutrition and health and how nutrients and foods affect the body. And this has huge implications for sports and performance. If you want to maximize your performance at any sport, then you have to give your body the kind of food that is right for you, the kind of food that will optimize energy production and regulation within the body, the kind of food that will optimize the autonomic and the oxidative influences. And if you do that, then every aspect of your athletic performance is going to peak out. It's going to maximize. But you give yourself the wrong food, and you will not have maximum performance. You also will not have maximum recovery time. This whole notion that if you are going to do a sport that you should load up on carbs, that's not true. It is absolutely not true. If that were true, then no Eskimo could ever have good sport performance. How can you tell an Eskimo, well, if you're going to you know, walk uh, 50 miles in the Arctic to capture, you know, or, or to uh, uh, kill a seal for, for your meal, that you have to load up on carbs. Well, where's he going to get the carbs? Mm. Where, where is that going to happen? So it's, it's a ridiculous notion. It's made by people who are not in touch with the real world and how it works. They're, they're in labs, they're armchair practitioners, they're, they're people who are looking at test tubes, they're not working from the real world because people are unique. People are different. People are different. You have to treat a protein type like an Eskimo completely different if you want to optimize their sport performance than you would a carb type if you want to optimize their sport performance. Yeah, yeah. And that's why some people 
on athletic teams, they thrive and others don't. They struggle with whatever, you know, the diet of the day is. Lately, for a number of years, it's been, you know, carb loading. But before that, you know, back in the 50s and the 60s, it was the opposite. It was protein. You know, training tables were loaded with steaks and all kinds of protein. But now it's not that way. So the reason it's flip-flopping, and it's going to flip-flop again, trust me, in the future it's going to change again. The reason it's going to change is that there's no such thing as one diet that is right for everyone, whether you're just an average person who wants to be healthy or whether you're an athlete at any level who wants to maximize your performance. You have to eat what is right for your genetically-based requirements. Another really uh, good quote here, and it'll lead us into the functional homeostatic controls, you know, is metabolic type and it's patient-specific, not disease-specific. And in your book, you have like two patients with the same disease, um, both have completely different biochemical dysfunctions at their root cause, and essentially metabolic type and tries to correct the underlying biochemical dysfunctions in one or more of the FHCs leading to chronic disease. So just maybe could you touch into the fundamental homeostatic controls and the primary and secondary and, and how you kind of came to formulate those. So again, we, we've kind of touched on the ANS and the oxidative, but how did things like the endocrine type and acid alkaline and prostaglandin constitution, etc., how did they manage to get into the system? Well, you're asking a lot of different questions here, so I'll try to <laughs> Sorry. Get um, but man, you know what? That, that's a really, really great thing to bring up and because it, it really, to me, is one of the most exciting things about metabolic typing. Yeah. Well, what we've learned with metabolic typing is that all degenerative diseases, and I don't care which one you name, you can talk about cancer or arthritis or heart disease, or diabetes, it doesn't matter. Whatever degenerative condition that you can name, we have come to understand that those conditions those degenerative diseases, they're not the problems. They're like the tip of the iceberg. You know, the tip of the iceberg is all that you see if you're in a ship and you're sailing around. You can see the tip of the iceberg. And that tip might be very small, but underneath it, it could be huge. Mm. Well, a degenerative disease is just that. If you have a diagnosis of a degenerative disease, that is the tip of the iceberg. And that actually is not the thing that should be treated. Why? Because we have learned through metabolic typing that all degenerative diseases result from imbalances or inefficiencies in the fundamental homeostatic control mechanisms in the body. Now those, that's a big term that I'm sure nobody knows you know, instantly what that means, but let me just try to simplify it that, and say that everything that takes place in your body Everything that takes place in your body that you can think of, your, your ability to see, your ability to secrete hydrochloric acid to digest your food, um, the ability of the immune system to function, um, the ability of the adrenal glands to secrete hormones to help produce energy in your body, everything that you can think of that takes place in your body. There are hundreds of thousands of these biochemical reactions that take place on a daily basis, but they are all controlled and regulated by just a handful of these control systems. In analogy, in, in analogous terms, it's like saying that there's a multi-level uh, global corporation that has 100,000 employees, but 
it's controlled and regulated. You know, those hundred thousands of employees and, and tens of thousands of offices, it's all controlled by just a handful of executives at the very top. In the same way, that's how the human body functions. Everything that takes place is regulated by a handful of these fundamental control systems. So, what we learned is that somebody who has, say, high cholesterol or heart disease, if they are a protein type like an Eskimo, if you feed them a high carbohydrate diet, you give them lots of green juice, you give them lots of fruits, lots of vegetables, lots of grains, you decrease the protein and the fat intake, their heart disease, their cholesterol is going to skyrocket. It's going to get worse. But if you give that protein type, like an Eskimo, all protein, all fat, and little or no carbohydrate of the right kinds of foods, their cholesterol and their heart disease is going to disappear. But if you give a carb type, somebody who should be eating high carbohydrate but low protein and low fat, if you give a carb type who has high cholesterol and heart disease, the same diet that cured that problem in the Eskimo, guess what? Their cholesterol is going to skyrocket and their heart disease is going to get worse. But if you give them the high carb, low protein, low fat diet, in their case, now their cholesterol will drop and their heart disease will disappear. So what is that saying about heart disease? Is it a condition that you can treat by giving a certain substance? No, it isn't. It's an expression of an imbalance in the fundamental control systems that control how the body produces energy. Because two totally opposite biochemical protocols, one was high protein, high fat, low carbohydrate, the other was just the opposite. High carbohydrate but low protein, low fat, two totally opposite protocols produced the same result, which was a lowering of cholesterol and a resolution of the heart disease. So we have found this to be true in every degenerative condition. And basically every symptom that a person has, what causes a headache in one person will cure it in another, and vice versa. You know, what causes dry skin or eczema in one person, that'll cure it in another person. So you have to address metabolic individuality. You have to give the body what it's genetically programmed to utilize in order to produce energy and to function normally, to function optimally. And remember, your body is designed to be functioning perfectly if you give it what it needs. So that's, that's where the dominance factor comes in. That's where it plays such an important role. And that's where this understanding comes from, that any nutrient or any food can have opposite influences in different metabolic types. And any disease can arise in totally different metabolic types and therefore will require completely different protocols in order to resolve it. So that's why metabolic typing is so exciting. We see this all the time in people that we work with. Could you maybe tell the uh, listeners how you determine someone's metabolic type? Yeah, sure. So I was, we were talking earlier about the autonomic nervous system and the oxidation rate. Mm -hmm. The oxidation rate is 
what takes place inside the cells in terms of how the cells produce energy. And there are several systems within the cells that are involved. And the autonomic nervous system. The autonomic nervous system is that nervous system in the body that takes place of everything that is out of our conscious control. It's basically is what keeps us going, keeps us alive. It's what regulates your heartbeat. It's what causes hydrochloric acid to be secreted in your stomach. It's what activates the immune system when it needs to be activated. It's what, what um, regulates any biochemical process that takes place in the body is, is controlled and regulated through the autonomic nervous system. So it's obviously a major control system, and it's referred to as the master regulator of metabolism. Mm -hmm. And that nervous system is controlled or is, is comprised of two divisions, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic division. And those two divisions of the nervous system work in, a, in an opposing but complementary fashion. Well, let me give you an example of what I mean. The sympathetic component will increase the heart rate, and the parasympathetic component will decrease the heart rate. The parasympathetic component will increase secretion of hydrochloric acid in your stomach, the sympathetic component will shut it down. So in this way, the, the interaction between those two divisions of the nervous system regulate everything that takes place in your body. It regulates your heartbeat. The sympathetic speeds it up, the parasympathetic slows it down. When they work properly together, your heart rate is normal. So in this way, the uh, autonomic nervous system is in touch and, and in cahoots if you will, with the endocrine system, with the the uh, the liver and the pancreas and the thymus and the thyroid and the adrenal glands, they're all regulated through the autonomic nervous system and they work together. It's called the neuroendocrine system. Mm -hmm. So it turns out that this genetically inherited metabolic type that we've been talking about, it relates specifically to the sympathetic and parasympathetic balance and the endocrine glands and the organs that it controls. That's why some people are have inherited strong stomachs and high levels of hydrochloric acid secretion and other people have inherited a weaker stomach or weaker hydrochloric acid secretion. Some people have strong digestion, some people have weak digestion. On and on and on throughout the body. So all of the characteristics that we can identify person's height, a person's weight, a person's quality of skin, um, how they react to foods, um, how well their liver is functioning, how well their heart is functioning, all these different physiological parameters. That relates to the autonomic and the endocrine systems and, and the different strengths and weaknesses that we have inherited. So it turns out that that is exactly how we determine a person's metabolic type. It is through the use of a very extensive questionnaire that examines your physical traits, your diet-related traits, and your psychological traits, and identifies specific patterns within those traits through a computer analysis. And those particular patterns are what classifies the different metabolic types. So it's actually very easy to identify your metabolic type through this computer analysis. You don't have to go anywhere to do it. You don't have to draw your blood. You don't have to run a lab test. In fact, in almost 40 years now, we have never found a lab test 
that can tell us precisely a person's metabolic type. We have to assess the different strengths and weaknesses in all these different components of the autonomic nervous system and the endocrine system and identify the patterns that exist in order to understand a person's metabolic type. So you're a metabolic typing advisor, Ravi. Anybody can contact you and can, can uh, sign up to have their metabolic type uh, analyzed, and you can direct them to our online questionnaire where that questionnaire can be filled out by any, any client that wants to work with you. And from there, the computer will determine what your metabolic type is and identify exactly what foods are right for you and what foods are wrong for you. Can you also touch on the MRT? Because I know when someone's metabolic type is determined, you know, they get their sort of recommended list of foods that would suit their metabolic type, but sometimes they may be reactive to some foods on that list. So you've started to incorporate the MRT. Um, can you maybe just explain the importance of use, utilizing that as well? Yeah, MRT is Mediator Release Test. It's a blood test that will identify very accurately. In fact, it is the only accurate food sensitivity test that we know of in the world today. But it's a, a very accurate test to identify food sensitivities. Those are foods that the body is having an adverse reaction to. That's an issue that is completely separate from your metabolic type. So this goes a little bit deeper into metabolic typing philosophy, but what we've come to understand is that there are two sides to, to providing the body with what it needs in order to be totally healthy. One side of the coin is you have to give it foods that are right for the metabolic type, right? You can't give the foods of a tucacenta to an Eskimo or the foods of an Eskimo to a tucacenta. You've got to give the right foods for the metabolic type. The other side of the coin is that there are a huge number of factors in our lifestyle this, these days in this modern world that we call stressors and blocking factors. These are all kinds of substances in the environment, like heavy metals like cadmium, aluminum, and arsenic, and, and mercury, or <clears throat> chemical toxins. There are tens of thousands of chemicals now that are in our environment that were not there a couple of hundred years ago that the human body has no idea what to do with. It, it, it just is wreaking havoc with the way the human body is designed to function. So these chemicals, these heavy metals are accumulating in the body. There are all kinds of other blocking factors and stressors that we've identified. So part of working with your metabolic type is identifying these elements and getting them out of your body, getting them out of your system. So it turns out that the presence of these stressors and blocking factors are literally blocking or inhibiting or, or distorting the way these fundamental control systems are designed to function, the way they should operate. It's, it's throwing a wrench in the works, right? And the effect of these things, of these stressors and blocking factors, are producing sensitivities to foods that really we should not have, that, that should not be there. But when the body chemistry becomes imbalanced, then the body will not function the way it's designed to function. So if you start ingesting these foods that you have a food sensitivity to, that then becomes an additional stressor on the system to which the body must compensate. It has to adapt. It has to defend against 
these food sensitivities and it produces a lot of problems down the line for the adrenal glands it produces a lot of problems for the gut in terms of how your body uh, how well your body is able to absorb and utilize nutrients so now that we have this wonderful test called MRT mediator release test we have incorporated that into metabolic typing so that we can identify foods to which we have these sensitivities and get those out of our diet to prevent this further damage to the fundamental control systems that can arise from the food sensitivities. So it's a very important component to understanding the right diet for your metabolic type. Metabolic typing identifies the right foods for you. MRT identifies foods to which you have a sensitivity that need to be eliminated. Brilliant, yeah. So I won't keep you too much longer, Bill. I just asked just two more questions. I'm someone who kind of loves to understand how certain people came to thought processes or how they developed things. So if I was to say, what resources could I go away and research that would help me understand how you formulated metabolic typing? Like, what, what would you say? Like, like I mean, like, what, what were the influence and the driving factors for you that, like, I know you're constantly learning and tweaking it and improving it, but what were, like, the foundational sort of things? Like, obviously, Dr. Kelly was one. Obviously, Watson's work was massive. Obviously, all the uh, FHCs were massive. What, what else would, would Pottinger's autonomic system work? Was that a huge player in it, too? Like, what other kind of driving factors were massive in your formulation of this um, system? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, this system has evolved through clinical experience. Yeah. It, it isn't theoretical. You know, we're, neither me nor somebody else has sat in a room somewhere and dreamed all this stuff up. This has come out of clinical experience. I mean, over 38 years and hundreds of thousands of tests. I mean, we've had vast experience in this field and and that experience that we touched on in the beginning when I worked with Dr. Kelly and we were working with the autonomic nervous system only and even though we helped a great many people I mean we helped a tremendous amount of people with this approach there still was a sizable per percentage of people that we could not help mm. and it was that it was that group that spurred my my investigation into why. Why, were, why was one group being helped, but the other group was not being helped? In fact, in some cases, what we did made them worse. How could that be? How could one person who had heart disease and was being helped not, I mean, how could what we did with one person that helped their heart disease, why did that make another person who had heart disease worse? So it was that experience that led to my discovery. Mm of the oxidation rate that Watson investigated and how that worked with the autonomic nervous system. But then after that, even though now we were able to help so many more people, such a much higher percentage of people, the day came when there were some people that we were not helping. And neither the autonomic system nor the oxidative system, when it was applied correctly, was having any influence on their problem. And that led to the next fundamental homeostatic control. So it was always someone who we couldn't help that led us to the next piece to the puzzle of metabolic individuality. When that first piece was discovered, 
and I can look back at that now and, and just, you know, be kind of amused. You know, I really thought, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the jigsaw puzzle. It's been solved. The pieces are there. And yet, you know, the body turned out to be much more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, over these three decades, through the experiences with people, we have come to learn more and more about how metabolic individuality is defined in the body. And that led us to find these other control systems. You know, I feel like today we're probably there, but, you know, we may not be. We may be discovering even more as time goes on, but it's pretty darn good where it is right now. It's pretty amazing what metabolic typing at its current iteration is able to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, I personally find it, I do find it fascinating. I, because I, again, it's, it's just, it's, it's, there's a lot of very logical concepts to it. Just one th like thing I'd, I'd like to do is, if if we opened up the floor to you to to address some of the biggest false assumptions people have so what are the biggest criticisms that are based off false assumptions that you constantly are having to answer about uh, metabolic typing like for instance i'm a, i'm a strength and conditioning coach and in the strength and conditioning industry there's a thing called the functional movement screen which kind of just looks at people's movement quality before they exercise and that fms it constantly gets criticized by people saying oh you can't apply the same screen to every person and blah blah, blah because people are basing their uh, arguments off false assumptions so when it comes to metabolic typing what are some of the common false assumptions you're constantly having to say no that's actually not metabolic typing is no it's actually this it's not that that you would like to maybe air now so that you can kind of say right go listen to this part of this podcast all that is answered sure well um <clears throat> probably a really really big one is the whole question about pH, about acid-alkaline balance, for for whatever reason, yeah. there's a pretty strong belief out there that it's good to be alkaline and it's bad to be acid. But that is totally false. Mm. It's absolutely wrong. And it's completely against basic physiology and biochemistry. The, the truth is, the reality is, that everybody who is healthy has a pH that will cycle above and below the median. It will go acid and alkaline twice within a 24-hour period. That's normal. That's what a person should be. Anybody who is stuck alkaline or stuck acid, the body is in a defense against a serious degenerative process. So this whole idea that everybody should be alkaline is stupid. It's absolutely false. It goes even deeper than that. We were talking about the autonomic nervous system, which is the master regulator of metabolism, right? It controls every function in the human body. It's what keeps you alive. The sympathetic division of the autonomic nervous system has to have an acid environment in order for the sympathetic-based enzymes to work. The parasympathetic division, the parasympathetic nervous activity, when it takes place, it has to have an alkaline environment. So to say that everybody should be alkaline all the time is ridiculous. Now you're going to cut off half of the autonomic nervous system from functioning. That, that makes sense, doesn't it? So that's, that's really a big one. People don't have the right understanding about pH. pH is an effect, mainly. It's not a cause. If you eat right for your metabolic type, 
if you normalize the autonomic nervous system and the endocrine system and the oxidation rate, if you restore function, pH will take care of itself. You should never, ever chase pH. You will only get yourself into trouble. Mm. It's also very tightly regulated too. Is that people think that it's it's like it's extremely tightly regulated mechanism in your body. Like it, I think some people think like it jumps from one massive extreme to the next one. I think that's correct. I think yeah. I think Dr. Brian Walter saying like that your respiratory rate has far more impact on your body pH than food ever could. That's right. Yeah. So another really big misunderstanding is people think that oh you can just eat anything you want and you know the body will use what it needs and get rid of the rest and the same thing about nutritional supplements oh sure yeah the body needs supplements these days people are in a lot of stress you should take supplements that's a good thing you should just take whatever you want and the body will use what it needs and get rid of the rest mm. wow nothing could be further from the truth <laughs> i mean we've talked about that really this whole time right you put the wrong fuel in the human body and you get really really bad results you mm. will create a degenerative disease by giving the wrong foods and the wrong nutrients. Yeah. Why? Because every, most every food and most every nutrient has a direct stimulatory or inhibitory effect on the autonomic nervous system. It'll either stimulate the sympathetic side or the parasympathetic side. And every food and every nutrient will either increase the rate of oxidation or decrease the rate of oxidation. There's no, there, there's no thing about, oh, yeah, the body will just use whatever it wants. That's like saying, well, put your hand in front of the flame and, and it won't burn you if you don't want it to. The body will just get rid of the heat and your flesh won't burn. You're right. Yeah, just uh, put your hand in water. It, it won't get wet. The body doesn't want to get wet, so it, it, it'll just discard the wetness and your skin won't get wet. It's ridiculous. Don't believe that for a second. Your food is your medicine or your poison. It will make you healthy or it will make you sick. It will make you lean or it will make you fat. It will improve your mind and the ability to think and to focus and to concentrate or it will mess up your mind. It will make your mind work too fast. Your mind will get cluttered or flooded with thoughts or your mind will work too slow. You won't, won't be able to think quickly. You won't be able to put things together. It will either improve your moods and your sense of well-being or it will create imbalances. You'll get angry, you'll get irritable, you'll get anxious, you'll get panic attacks, you'll get fearful. Um, it will give you energy or it will take your energy down. It will help you sleep or it will mess your sleep up. I mean, to say that your body just use what it needs and get rid of the rest, that's crazy. Mm. So people don't understand the power in what they eat. What you eat has everything, 100%. It has everything to do with how you feel, how you think, how you perform. So if you want to feel great all the time, then start eating right for your metabolic type. And that's another thing. People don't understand this one-to-one -one relationship. If you eat a lunch at midday and you go back to work, and you feel sleepy, and you feel tired, and you start craving some sweets, you're not eating right for your metabolic type. You gave your body the wrong fuel. If you ate a meal, and you have to go out and, and lift weights, but you don't have the strength that you had the day before, you ate wrong for your metabolic type. If you go out after a meal, and you, you try to play a sport like tennis, or 
basketball or whatever it might be, and you're not as fast as you think you should be, or you're not, your hand-eye coordination isn't as good as it should be, you ate wrong for your metabolic type. And what you eat has everything to do with how you feel. How do you know if you're eating right for your metabolic type? Just look at how you're feeling between lunch, or between breakfast and lunch, and between lunch and dinner. If you are not feeling terrific, if you don't have terrific energy, if you don't have terrific well-being, if you don't have terrific moods, if you don't have terrific mental function between breakfast and lunch, you're not eating right for your metabolic type. It's really simple. You are designed to be optimal. You are designed to function at a terrific level. And if you're not, then you're not giving your body what it needs. Mm. I 100% agree. Just finally, do you think circadian rhythms have a massive influence on how well you do with the nutrition that's right for your type? Because just in the, the cases you gave there, say you're eating food that you usually do thrive on, but you had a bad night's sleep or whatever, your circadian cycle was off, traveling or whatever, and then the foods you usually thrive on, you're not thriving on, maybe because your your blood sugar is off because your circadian cycle's out or just because your whole biorhythms are off. Like So can other factors put your whole sort of system out and it might necessarily be the food it's just because like you're again you're what i'm saying is you're eating food that you usually do thrive on and you're not thriving on it at that instant because other things maybe it's a blocking factor like you you stayed in a hotel and there was like mold in the room and you're allergic to mold or again maybe it was circadian cycle issues can they be issues too that have an impact on the whole situation yeah sure absolutely but those are you know those are temporary those are not they're all the day yeah well yeah. but but more important in terms of circadian rhythms is that that's also part of metabolic individuality. Yeah. Some people have a circadian influence that is pretty consistent throughout the day, meaning from breakfast to lunch to dinner, they need pretty much the same protein and fat versus carbohydrate proportion. Yeah. We call those macronutrient ratios. They have a need for the same macronutrient ratios at each meal. But other people, other metabolic types, other metabolic individuals, they have dramatically different requirements at breakfast versus lunch or from lunch versus dinner. You may have a need for high protein and fat, low carbohydrate at breakfast, but that could shift and almost flip-flop by lunchtime. So that's all part of what we do in metabolic typing is identify these unique qualities in each individual to really fine-tune their diet to meet their individual needs. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Um, Bill, if, if, if I was to say to you, you're, you're the head of all preventative medicine in the world, what, sy- <laughs> what systems would you, would you put in place? <laughs> I would put metabolic typing as the foundational system. Yeah. You have to address metabolic individuality. Then whatever else may be required has a chance of really working it has a chance of doing what it's designed to do but if you are not giving your body the foundation if you're not giving your body the basic raw materials for which it has a genetic requirement then everything else you do is always going to be in compensation so i would install metabolic typing as the foundational therapy in any clinic for any condition or any disease Great stuff. Any closing words and finally resources and where can people find out more about you and metabolic typing? 
Well, they, they should contact you is what they should do. But if they don't want to contact you because they don't like you, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Then they, can, <laughs> then they can go to metabolictyping.com and find their way for, for more information. And they can also look for my book at amazon.com if they want metabolic typing diet. But um, I, I suggest they contact you. Yeah. You get it, man. You understand what, what's going on. Yeah, no, it's brilliant, and I really appreciate you coming on. And uh, finally, I just ask you, what, what what have you ate so far today? What what? What what did you have for breakfast today? <laughs> it's only it's only for my metabolic type, man. <laughs> All right, that's not, that's good. That's a good answer. Okay, uh, Bill Walcott, I really really appreciate you coming on. That's um, you you know you gone ten minutes over time, and, and it was really great for you and answered a lot of my questions. And uh, and again, just kind of. Uh, got the information out to my my listeners the good listenership on this and as i said you've been a massive influence on me in terms of nutrition and health and wellness and you know i really love the metabolic titan book and the concepts of it so i really appreciate yeah, you coming great. on thanks very much appreciate it robbie good right. talking to you thanks bill take care see you okay guys that's another great episode done thanks for tuning in and listening and downloading the podcast please keep supporting the podcast by going to upmentorship.com one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today where you'll get almost 20 hours of world-class strength and conditioning information. So that was Mr. Bill Walcott of Metabolic Typing. Great interview, full of information, and I hope you enjoyed it. So take care, guys, and I'll talk to you soon, and stay strong. (laughs) 